0: We're going to jump into this this morning. This is part five of a series we're doing called Love and Hate. Uh, The first four weeks were very foundational. Um, We covered uh, what love is. We need to let God define for us what he says love is. And really the the whole backbone of this series is about letting God teach us what we should love and what we should hate and how we can live in this world um, around a whole bunch of different people people that are in our homes, people that are in our communities, people that are in our church, folks that we have chance encounters with. How do we live in this crazy world that we're in? And so we do that by letting God, first of all, teach us what love is and how we share his love with others. Then on week two, we talked about what God hates. There are some things that he hates, but with God, it's through the lens, it's through the filter of love. He loves people so much And there are things that harm his kids. And he's passionate about dealing with those things that rip us off and destroy us. And so he abhors sin and yet loves the sinner. Those were the people most comfortable and drawn to Jesus when he was walking this earth. But he abhors sin because it destroys and rips us off. God hates hypocrisy because it misrepresents what's good. And ultimately, God hates it when light is cast as darkness and darkness is depicted as light. He wants us to walk in reality because in reality is where life and freedom exist. And so that's, those are some things we talked about that God hates. And in the last two weeks, we talked about God's correcting love. And we just said, listen, correction is not rejection. When it's done properly from the proper heart and the proper motive, correction is not rejection. It's love in action, saying, I love you so much, I'm going to help you. And he is our father, and our father loves his kids, and he will correct us. And so when we are receiving personally correction from the Lord, our response is to confess, because it's it's powerful. It's acknowledging and recognizing the specific thing that's a problem. Not a vague, oh, I'm kind of sorry, maybe I was misunderstood. That's not really what I meant. No, this specific thing, God, I've done it, and I repent of it. And so that moves us to the next thing, from confession to repentance. Repentance is not just turning away from something that's wrong, it's turning towards not just something that is right, turning towards the one who is right, the one who's right. If we're just trying to do right, we're in trouble. But if we turn to the one who is right and enter his presence and follow him, then we receive forgiveness, and that gives us new life. So confession, repentance, and forgiveness, those three things are our response to God when he's correcting us. So that's, that's the foundation that we laid And so now where we're heading over the next few weeks is we're going to talk about, first of all, some things God may want to deal with us on, personally. Then we're going to talk about our brothers and sisters in the Lord, church community. That's not just this group of people, by the way. It's the larger kingdom of God. We are a part of something much bigger than just a group that gathers on Sunday mornings in this building. And so how do we live in that community, in love? And then finally... The world around us, folks who are lost, folks who don't know Jesus. How do we love them well and communicate clearly God's heart for them? So that's where we're heading. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the story of the rich young ruler. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. This this story is found in three different Gospels. It's also found in Matthew 19 and Luke 18. Um, the story follows a very similar half in all three passages. There's little words, little ways it's described that are just slightly different wording, but but the heart of this story is found in Mark 10, Matthew 19, and Luke 18. We're going to camp out in Mark's gospel this morning. So what I want to do is a little bit different. Usually I don't like to open by reading a long passage of scripture, but this is a story, a specific story that happened in the life of Jesus, an encounter with a young man, And his disciples were present for this interaction. So we're just gonna read the story together and then we'll take our time and unpack it. You guys ready to, to dive into this? So here we go, Mark 10, verse 17. And as he, that's Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. The journey that we're going to go on together this morning is about letting Jesus personally, specifically, tangibly in my life come in. And correct me when I need correction. And when we let him do that, when we have that real encounter with him, we're going to experience three things. He'll be personal when he comes in to correct us. He'll be practical, and it's going to be powerful. Personal, practical, and powerful. So let's start off with personal. Looking back at the very first verse in the story, Mark ten seventeen, And as Jesus was setting out on his journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a real tangible encounter. This is not an instance where Jesus is telling a parable. Now Jesus would often use parables to teach a real truth, something anchored in the reality of who he is and what he wanted us to know. But this is an actual specific encounter with a real guy that comes up to spend time with Jesus. And one of the things I see right off the bat is Jesus engages this guy in a very personal conversation. This guy comes running up, he gets on his knees, and he asks a question. And I, I just, I found myself stopping right here. You know, normally I'd go right into the next few verses where Jesus begins to speak back to the guy. But I just thought I would pause and take note of something here. I took note of this myself. I wonder when the last time was that you or I asked Jesus Jesus, what do you think I need? See, I'm, I'm really good at knowing what I think I need. And I'm really good at having conversations with him where I'm going to him and saying, Jesus, this is what I need right now. Here's what I'm aware of that's going on in my life. Would would you come fix this, heal with this, help me with this? But what if we would put ourselves in the position of this guy where we humble ourselves and come to his feet and go, God, what do I do? What do you want to say to me? What's, what's missing in my life? I feel like something maybe is, is off. God, what is it? Inviting him to come speak into our lives. We can position ourselves at his feet. And when we do that, it becomes personal. We do that, it becomes personal. And Jesus sees that and immediately engages him. He has a conversation with him. And he begins to wrestle through some issues with him. So let's pick this up now as Jesus begins to speak to him in verses 18 and 19. Then Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. He's already putting his finger on one of the issues here with this guy. Are you just trying to be good and earn your way to eternal life? Verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now, Jesus is quoting right here from the Ten Commandments. Does that, does that verse kind of sound familiar to you guys, some of those things Jesus is saying? He's quoting from Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 6 or several other places in the, in the Scripture in the Old Testament where it's laid out, man, here's the Ten Commandments of what God's calling us to do, how he's called us to obey and to follow him. And Jesus quotes. Now, is anything missing? Anybody, did anybody do any math as we were reading through those? I got to six, I didn't see 10. Jesus listed six very specific commandments. And what's always interesting about God when he communicates with us is not only the detail of what's there in the scripture, but paying attention when there seems to be something intentionally missing. The the fact that there are four things Jesus doesn't point to is already a hint of what he's after with this guy. And so there's four kind of hidden commandments that he doesn't talk about. So let's see what Jesus is really after. So it's a hint. Now we see this guy's response, right? Jesus engages with him. He lists these six commandments. And the guy says back to Jesus, Teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I mean, I love how personal Jesus is here. Listen, Jesus knows this guy's missing something. He knows he's off, but he loves this guy. He sees him right where he is. This guy doesn't even realize what's missing in his life, right? That's why he's there. Jesus, something's off. I feel it. Something's missing. I'm trying to justify myself here. How do I get eternal life? And Jesus sees him in that condition and loves him and loves him. Now, here's what's interesting to me. And I've, I've thought about this over the years with this passage. And I've always imagined after Jesus reads off, those six commandments, and the guy hears the list, that he breathes a big sigh of relief. I mean, can't you almost hear it, right? Like, Jesus rattles off six things. He's like, oh, okay, good, good. I've been doing that since I was a kid. That's great. He breathes a sigh of relief. And I I think many of us can approach Jesus that way, where I'm looking for confirmation. I'm looking for validation. I'm looking to hear the things I want to hear that let me know everything's okay. But am I willing to hear what he might say that isn't okay? And so we can stop there. I can find the things I'm doing well. Here's the verses I really love. Here's the things, God, I think they're kind of happening in my life. You know, I read through the fruit of the Spirit and I'll grab the three or four that seem really, really to, to resonate. Man, I think those are present in my life. I think I'm pretty kind. I think I'm pretty gentle. I'm loving. We'll ignore patience for a minute, right? As a little side note, it's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit. One thing. See, we, we might have a personality that is naturally gentle or kind. Or we might have a personality that's naturally patient. But it takes the power and presence of God's Spirit in our life for all of them to operate together. And so we pause and we go, okay, here's, yes, okay, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing all right. And we seek to justify ourselves. And maybe that's what was happening with this guy. But I got convicted a little bit this week because the scripture doesn't say what his emotional response is. He says, I've done all those from my youth. But you know what? I began to think maybe he was actually discouraged. Don't you know there are times where you know something is off and you're just not sure what it is? And you go looking for the answer and then when you, when you hear something that you think is maybe the answer, and you go, oh, well, if that's the answer, I'm stuck. And I think it's just as possible. This guy heard Jesus list the commandments, and he's like, well, crud. I mean, I've been doing that, and I'm, but something's off. I feel it. I still know something is missing. And see, I think for some of us, We're walking through life and we're going, man, I think I got it pretty together and I think I'm doing the kinds of stuff Jesus wants me to do. And yet there is this dissatisfaction. Something just still doesn't feel quite right and we can't quite put our finger on it. But if we're willing to slow down like this guy and engage with Jesus, come in that humble position of God, speak to me on this and hear him out, we will find a God who looks at us and who loves us and has compassion on us, and he will speak the truth to us if we will let him. He will speak the truth to us. And see, the rest of the story that unfolds can be a little challenging, a little difficult, a little disheartening. But Jesus starts off his response to this guy with the eyes of love. And so we need to notice that. That needs to jump off the page at us. That's the same eyes that Jesus looks at you with when you're struggling, when you're discouraged, when you're beat up, when you're blowing it, he loves you and he sees you and he wants to speak truth and life to you if we will let him. So Jesus sees us as we are and loves us even when we can't see ourselves and maybe we don't even love us. We're feeling discouraged and beat up, but he's there. So Jesus is personal when he comes in close to bring some correction and some new direction. Secondly, Jesus is practical. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Does Jesus say the one thing he lacks? Not directly. You lack one thing and then says, here's how we're going to address it. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And this guy hears that and gets disheartened, gets discouraged. It says he's disheartened by the saying, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, Jesus gave a specific and hard directive that got right to the heart of the issue. What he's saying is your heart is set somewhere else. But I'm not just going to tell you where it should be set. I'm going to help you see yourself how it's set in the wrong place. I'm going to get right to the core of the issue. Go sell all your stuff. Now, some people would hear that and be like, cool, awesome. I've been wanting to go be a missionary anyways. Like, let's get rid of this junk and go. But Jesus is, remember, personal. He's talking to this guy about his issue. See, there is is a message about just possessions and stuff. That's not what this is this morning. This is about Jesus coming in close and personal and being able to help us see and identify what's going on that's wrong so he can correct us. And so he'll come in close and get really personal and then he'll get very specific. He'll get very practical with us. He'll let us see what the issue is. And the reason he'll do that is because he wants us to know where our heart is really set. We already know. You guys might already be thinking of the verse where he tells us how we can figure out where our heart is set. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The point Jesus was making to this young man wasn't so much about how much money the guy had. It was about how much his money had him. Did y'all catch that? It's not about how much money he had. It's about how much his money had him. As opposed to him having some things that he possessed, those things possessed him. They consumed him. They were kind of the anchor, the, 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 the key point in his life that he depended on. And so even though this was a good dude, I mean, by all accounts, he wasn't lying when he said, Jesus, I did those six commandments. I love people well. I don't murder. I've never committed adultery. I'm not coveting after people's stuff. I'm not a thief. I've honored my parents. By all accounts, this is a good man. And we also know that because of the disciples' response. They're like, well, Jesus, if that guy's in trouble, we're all lost. Like, this was a well-respected dude. But Jesus loved him enough to get right to the heart of the issue. And he said, buddy, I'm going to show you what you really treasure by encouraging you to, to let it be taken away. What if that was gone? Where would you be? And the guy was disheartened. He was discouraged. I want to take us back to look at something specific that Jesus was doing when he listed just the six commandments. And I want to do this through the lens of another passage where Jesus is approached uh, by a Pharisee that wanted to hear from Jesus, like, what's your core teaching? What are you all about? And so in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, This guy comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Talk to me about the Ten Commandments. What's the most important one? What do I need to do? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus summarized Ten Commandments in two statements. And the way he broke apart the commandments when he's talking to this rich young ruler is in those two categories. The last six commandments have everything to do with how we interact with one another. Hey, you're a good dude in your community. You're loving people as yourself. That's great. But you've missed the first thing. You've missed the greatest thing. It's not about being a good person or well-respected or kind in your community. First and foremost, it's about you and God. And the first four commandments that Jesus left out are all the ones that have to do with our personal relationship with God. Have no other gods before you. Have no graven images. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. On and on. Those four four things all kind of wrapped up or encapsulated our specific relationship with God, not taking God's name in vain. They're all related to us and him. And those were the ones Jesus left out when he was talking to the young guy. That's what was missing. God wasn't primary. God wasn't first. There was something else that was in God's place. And for him, it was his money. And so Jesus gets really, really practical and really, really specific and gets right to the heart of the issue. And see, he's after all of us. When Jesus says, you love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your heart, all your mind, another passage even says, with all your strength. If you think about how we're made as human beings, he's covering everything. He's covering our spirit, our soul, that deep part of who we are. He's covering our mind, how we think and function and operate, our will, how we make decisions, our physical body with all of our strength. He's saying every part of you is to be aligned with God as primary you recognizing God's love in your life and you responding and loving him. It's what you were made to do. At the heart of it, that's what worship is. Recognizing God's incredible love towards me, seeing how personal he is with me and then me responding back and going, God, I love you. You're awesome. You're incredible. I worship you. This is what was out of order for this guy. Now, it's not just about this man. It's not just about this man. It's, it's so easy for us to read a passage like this and we see this guy and we can make a pretty quick judgment call whether we're like him or not. But the disciples recognize something that I hope we all see. They recognize that their situation was fraught with difficulty if this guy's in trouble. Mark 10 verses 23 through 25, the story continues. As the young guy walks off, sorrowful, disheartened, Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Our situation is tenuous. We sit on a razor's edge. We need a miracle of impossible odds. Listen, I've I've mentioned this before. I'll talk about it again. It's the reality of the world that you and I live in. We're wealthy. We are wealthy. We have much. We've been given much. We've been provided much. I don't say that to inspire some sense of guilt. God can do incredible things with our resources when they're in his hands. But we need to recognize that that we are very much in the same position that this rich young ruler is, and therefore we are prone to the same possible issues. I can become so comfortable in pursuing comfort. I can be so caught up in arranging for my own life that I find myself in this dangerous position that, listen, takes a miracle to get out of. The disciples they, they're, they're up in arms about what Jesus is saying. They're not passively sitting back going like, well, pff, dude, that guy blew it. What a selfish jerk. What a rich guy that's just wrapped up in his own life. No, they recognize the reality of what's going on and they're going, God, is there any hope for us? Can anybody be saved? What's the deal here? Here's the reality of this, Okay. Jesus loves us enough to not leave us in the theoretical. I I enjoy sermons that are about big picture ideas, concepts. I love hearing sermons that encourage and inspire me to something. I also love hearing sermons that line up with things I believe. I mean, there's nothing more encouraging than hearing somebody speak boldly and truthfully about something I believe. What we don't like as much is having our specific thing touched. Mm -hmm. Our specific issue highlighted. That that personal and practical encounter with God that goes, that thing. Where when God touches it, we go, ow. Mm -hmm. I don't even mind practical messages when I'm sitting there and I start to think of the people I'm really glad that are in the room with me because they really needed to hear that one. (laughs) I'm sure I'm the only one that's ever wanted to do this to the person next to me, right? Right? I love those kinds of messages. But are, are we willing to let Jesus take us out of the theoretical and have a real personal encounter with him? Are we willing to invite him into our lives and say, God, listen, I, man, I think we're good. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about living under guilt all the time, but I'm just saying there are moments when we kind of know something's off. And am I willing to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you talk to me about what I need to hear? And God, would you put your finger on the problem? Would you show me? And I'll tell you, a way that you can know what the problem is is when the thing you care about gets touched and you're not happy about it. When somebody mentions a specific issue, a specific problem, and your immediate response is getting real defensive of it or beginning to justify it, either in your own mind or even verbally outward to other people. That's a sign that something's off when you get defensive. Or you get bummed out where you're like, man, I don't know if I can do without that. But Jesus goes, listen, right here, right now, you can make a decision. Take this step. Um, I'll give you an example of something that just as a, as a young, I was a teenager moving into my early 20s, of something Jesus was highlighting to me in my life. And, and I hope this will make the point. Um, I reached a point in my life with Jesus where stuff was starting to shift and change in my heart. And I found myself really falling in love with him. He was becoming more real to me. He was becoming very personal. And I felt like I was really learning how on my own to follow Jesus. I was moving out of that childhood phase of kind of being under the umbrella of my parents and growing up in church to determine, Jesus, you're real and I'm going to follow you. And one of the things I remember him highlighting to me was what a central role in my life certain music I listened to played. It played a huge role in my life. It affected my heart. It affected my mood. It affected the way I thought. Like I just had some favorite bands and albums. that I just, mean I loved them. I was obsessed and I listened to all the time. And there was a moment where I, I mean, I remember where I was. I was in my bedroom. I was reading through the scripture and I'm having one of these kind of personal conversations with God. God, what do you want to say to me? And immediately music came to mind. Now, where I wasn't, I wasn't at a conference railing against music that's not Christian and being told it's all bad and no dancing and no music and only gospels. It wasn't that. This was something personal for me. And I just knew I got to do something about this. And so this was, you know, way back in the day of CDs. You know, where you had like these disc things that you had to put into a little machine that opened like this and closed like that. And if you had a good one, if you were riding in the car, you know, you'd have like 20 seconds where it wouldn't skip. Anybody remember those anti-skip CD players? Yeah, that's right. It's not Family Sunday. So you guys all remember this stuff. If the kids were in the room. They'd be like, what is he talking about? And I just knew I got to get rid of them. I got to get rid of them. And so I gathered them up and I walked outside to the trash can outside. And I think I even snapped them in half just to make sure I didn't fish them out of the trash an hour later out of regret. And I threw them away. Now, is the point of that, that we're all supposed to take right now when we leave church today, go home, get all the music out of your house that's not fully 100% about Jesus and throw it away. Is that the point this morning? No. In fact, some of those bands I listen to again today, but I'm in a whole different place. I'm in a whole different mindset. The reality is in that moment, in that time, I knew something was off. And I'm saying, Jesus, would you come talk to me about it? And he said, okay, you want to know? It's that. That's affecting the way you think about yourself and about the world you're in. You live very discouraged and cynical because of what you're listening to. And so throw that away. And how about you start listening to some old school Keith Green or listen to this, this worship album, some passion worship CDs or whatever, And I began to fill my mind with that stuff, and it was unbelievable. I mean, to this day, Keith Green's resurrection song, that Easter song that he does, comes on, and I'm in tears. Because, like, Jesus gave me resurrection life. And there was a specific moment where I remember him doing that thing that day in my heart. If we will let him get personal and specific, practical, we're in a good place. If we make it legalistic... It's just my list of six things that I can go, I'm already doing that. I'm good. I'm missing it. God, what's the thing here today, me and you? Is there something? God, would you highlight it? And he'll let me see it in a very loving way, and then he'll invite me to do something practical that both points to the problem and points to a solution. I I can give that up. This guy would have experienced such a radical, fully abundant, fully satisfying life if he had been able to lay down his stuff and follow Jesus. If he'd been able to say, you know what, I am. I'm getting rid of that. That stuff owns me and I'm tired of it owning me. And so it's gone. Jesus, I'm following you. For all we know, he'd be the guy that wrote a bunch of New Testament letters that encourage us to this day. Maybe he would have been like Paul. I don't know. What he missed because he missed that opportunity. The point is this. As an American who has much, as a person who has a a lot of control over the destiny of my life, am I so wrapped up in running my life? God, am I worshiping entertainment, distraction, comfort? Lord, are there things that are determining the condition of how I think, of how I feel, my emotional state? Am I satisfied when I'm able to do these things? And when am I really discouraged and down when I have a week where that doesn't happen? Are other things in my life keeping me from that thing I really enjoy? See, if he's primary, I find life and hope and satisfaction and joy in him, in his presence. And the other stuff's just in addition, and it's great. It's wonderful. It can be enjoyed. But is it in its proper place? And so will I invite him to talk to me about that I should be suspicious of my motives and my condition and go, God, here I am. I'm dropping. Like, let's be like this guy. Let's get practical. God, I'm dropping on my knees. The point of getting on our knees is it's a sign of humility. God, I I suspect I've been running my own life. But God, I want you to run my life. And so I'm going to put myself in a humble position and say, Jesus, you're king. You're Lord. Am I missing something? Would you highlight something? And and see what he says. See what he does. Will we let him get personal and practical? If we do, if we let him get personal and practical with us, then we will experience power. We will experience power. Mark ten verse twenty six and twenty seven. As Jesus finished saying all of this stuff, the disciples moved from just being amazed to now being exceedingly astonished. In verse twenty six. And they said to them, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. I wonder how often we think about the context of that verse. That verse is not a passage on receiving healing. It's not a passage on, I've got this huge life goal that I'm hoping takes place. Seems impossible, but God, with you, it's not impossible. Make it happen. This is a a verse attached to recognizing our condition, our position, and realizing we have a bankrupt life apart from Jesus. We have a bankrupt life apart from him. But... A miracle can happen. God's power can show up and the reality of who he is can come encounter my life and with him, this is possible. A life with Jesus makes this possible. I can walk in freeness and wholeness. I can live and experience the eternal life that Jesus has for me right here, right now because he is with me. He's with me. I want to wrap up by looking at a passage in Romans and then we're going, to, we're going to pray together. We're going to return to this passage in Romans chapter 1 a couple times throughout this series. Um, but there's some, there's some truth in it that I hope that we can see and grab hold of this morning. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul writes and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Ow. Say it again. It's the what? I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith now check this out then he says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness what do they do? Suppress the truth. That's the real issue. Am I letting God speak truth and reality in my life, or do I want to suppress it? You know, it'd be really easy, for example, if there's a Sunday morning where the preacher gets up and he starts talking about a passage where there's a rich guy who should give everything away, for us to wait and go, okay, I'm waiting for where the balance gets brought in. Because I know God's not against stuff, right? I'm I'm, I'm waiting for the part where then we're told, like, there's an abundant life available. And, like, where is that? Now, absolutely, we should preach a balanced gospel. But I think sometimes we're so ready to move off the thing that's convicting me that I won't just sit with an uncomfortable passage of Scripture and let Jesus talk to me about it. Let me find some other place that will bring me comfort instead of saying, wait a minute maybe I'm the rich young ruler. God, what do you want to say to me today about this? And just sit with it and let him talk to you. Let's not race and be the people of itching ears that just want to hear the thing that immediately makes us feel comfortable again. But sit with it and see what he'll say. See, the, the core issue of what defines ungodliness and unrighteousness is suppressing the truth, not wanting to hear reality. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Jesus will make it known and obvious because God has shown it to them. In fact, I don't even have to get that personal. Just the fact that he's real and there is available, it's recognizable. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. God's real, and he's present, and he's powerful, and he's alive. Am I going to be the kind of person that wants to suppress the truth and not hear what he wants to say to me? Or am I going to make myself available to the power of God? How do I experience God doing the impossible in my life? With him. How does that happen? By faith. I'm trusting that he is with me, and that he is for me, and that he is helping me. And the way I am justified and live a righteous life is by trusting in Jesus Christ, in him, and in the life that's available in him, in his power and presence. He did it. He fulfilled it. See, the beauty of what's available to us is it's okay. We're imperfect. He knows that already. Why would we try to suppress that truth? He knows. He sees, and he loves us because he says, listen, I did it for you, and I went to that cross in your place so that you could step into reality, so you could step into the light, your deeds could be clearly seen, and if you'll trust me, I will exchange your life for mine. I will take your worst and I will take your best. I will take everything you treasure and hold dear, and I'll exchange it with you for something better. For something better. I wonder what we're holding on to because we think, This is so necessary. It's so precious. It's so important. I need it so much. And if we would release it to him, what incredible thing he would place in our lap in its place. When God is primary, when loving him is primary, everything else makes sense and falls into line. So I'm going to pray for us this morning. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to be intentional to do something. And maybe you need to do it like today before you forget. Or maybe you need to set your alarm a few minutes earlier and do it tomorrow morning. I don't know. But let's, let's put ourselves in a place where we would let God speak to us in a very personal and practical way. And we would invite him to come in all of his power to set us free from that thing. I, I want to genuinely and honestly be able to say, God, I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. The reality is often that's not the case. But his grace is available. By faith, that becomes reality. I'm never going to do that perfectly. But by trusting him, by clinging to him, to holding on to him, it becomes more and more real in my heart and life. And if I'll invite him in, he'll speak truth that will set me free. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you see. God, that you come in close. That you see us through the lens of love. And God, that you care about us enough that you'll speak truth. Not to beat us up, not to shame us, but God, to invite us into the life you have for us. where you are king and we're not. Thank you that you do that. God, I don't know where we all find ourselves this morning. Maybe there's not some huge thing going on. Maybe we're great. Or maybe there is something very specific that's personal that we're clinging to or that is clinging to us. And God, we want some freedom. Lord, no matter our condition, the reality is it's a really good place to be when we invite you to come speak to us personally and practically. God, I pray that we would invite you to come be honest with us. And Lord, that we wouldn't suppress the truth. When you speak, that we would respond, that we would acknowledge our condition as hopeless and lost without you, but fully possible and available with you. And Jesus, would you come set us free? We love you. We trust you. It's in your name we pray this morning. Amen.